Well, this is part two in the continuing series in the commandments, but part two of our look at the fourth commandment about the Sabbath day. Remember to keep it holy. Same title as last week, thinking about time rightly. Thinking about time, the time actually that God has given to us every day, in a sense, is the Lord's day. It's all his time. Our lives are his. We are his people, if such we are, and we render obedience to him. Now, we saw last time, this very briefly, the Sabbath commandment continues. Whatever other commandment does, why that one should cease is a bit beyond me, though some try to make that case. So we don't go in the direction of some. Neither do we become neo-Pharisees and uh, looking at more and more rules and regulations to bog the day down with, to clutter it with. But it's there to structure our week, structure our time, organize us so that we are organized in our souls, organizing the life of the soul. For we are more than work and we are meant to worship God. We'll see a little bit more about that as we proceed. But it avoids idolatry, forming in our hearts work, becoming an idol, so easily can, or becoming workaholics and never stopping, which again is bad for the soul. And indeed stops anything else becoming an idol. Today for destroying idols. And it is intended, the fourth commandment, to preserve the first commandment. But we shall have no other God before him. That everything else must fade and cease or have its right and proper place. And this day, although of course we're to be first commandment people every day of the week, but this day is given to us in order that we may ensure that we are first commandment people. This ensures the rest of the week we might be first commandment people in our work. But as work has been kept out as far as we can from the Sabbath day, then work, when we go back to work, doesn't become an idol. And so that actually that God forms there on a Monday morning or a Tuesday, or whenever it is. It's there to preserve the place in our lives of the first commandment. Do no work. Avoid. So there is the law. We know that events happen. Things have to be done. Some things are unavoidable. Some things indeed are very necessary that we should attend to them. We also saw that it is actually an act of faith, that just as God's people, when they collected the manna, collected twice as much on the day before the Sabbath, believing that that would be providing for them on the Sabbath day, that unlike usually, the manna would go rotten and smell and have worms in it the next day if they try to hang on to it, that it wouldn't happen on the Sabbath day. Indeed, it didn't. And God enabled them to be able to desist from just the matter of having to find what they needed to live by. He'd provide for them, and did. Well, moving on. First heading, and it's got a question mark. One size fits all. Question mark. One size fits all. Well, we know that self-interest is ruled out on the Sabbath day, and I want to read Nehemiah 13, verses 15 to 22. Things he's got there to say about trading. When the people were going outside the city walls, there were people there bringing all their wares and all their merchandise. And Nehemiah dealt with them very thoroughly, very effectively. No, not a day for making money. 
Not a day to be thinking about making money. Not a day for self-interest, doing your own pleasure. But does it mean that there is therefore some fixed rule? That was Phariseeism, wasn't it? That there was a fixed rule and everybody had to fit that rule. And woe betide them if they didn't. Well, is that wise? Well, how does one observe a Sabbath if you're married to a non-Christian? Christian husband, non-Christian wife. How do you do that? Are you able to do exactly what you could do if you're married to a Christian woman or a Christian man? No. That Sabbath has got to have some give or take within it. And God would have it so. Or non-Christian children. Maybe Christian parents, but if your your children aren't Christians, what then? One size to fit all in that case. And of course, the fact is, the Sabbath is made for man. We're to cast our eyes back to chapter 2 of Mark. There in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And he goes on, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath, that he makes the rules. He decrees them. And he, when we're having a look at a moment, what he decreed there was lawful to be done on the Sabbath. And so what kind of Sabbath is made for non-Christian children, non-Christian partners? What kind of Sabbath is made for people who are obliged to have to work on a Sunday, working in important services, important works that just don't stop because accidents happen on the Lord's Day. Illnesses take place on the Lord's Day. It's not such a day that no calamity, emergency ever happens on the Lord's Day. So what then? Well, we need help, don't we? And sometimes it's Christians who have to be there and available to do it. So the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. There's not a rule. Everybody has to be squeezed into. Everybody has to fit into. That's what the Pharisees did. And how they did. The rules and the regulations. If you thought COVID brought with it rules and regulations, I can tell you the observance of the Sabbath, as per the Pharisees, had even more. And these had to be meticulously followed if you were to not... uh, encounter their frowns and their disapproval. And they were the people who thought they got it right. And they really did think they got it right. And we saw last time that um, although the Sermon on the Mount showed actually they'd missed or any commandment you might mention by a long chalk, that they completely had not seen the, the inner spiritual life, that an external conformity satisfied them. And the Lord showed that it didn't satisfy God. And that isn't the kind of righteousness there that's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't teach on the Sabbath day, not then, but he did plenty after it and taught how to understand it and see the spiritual value of it again beyond their rules. It is as though they were conforming to, you have heard it said of old. And there were the Pharisees with their rules. You have heard it said. Well, there it is. But then I say, So he's Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of all the commandments. He gives the authoritative interpretation. He goes into the heart of it. And well, he exposes, doesn't he, the things that are going on in the hearts of the people there. And it wasn't very pleasant. And that we can see in Mark 3 and in a few other places too. But because they thought perhaps they were doing well on the other commandments. And here was one saying, do no work. Perhaps that's measurable. That's what people like. They like to measure things, don't they? Well, 10, that's okay. 11's not. 
five, that's all right. Six is not. People think, oh, I'm doing okay because I'm, I haven't done six of those or whatever it is. And the Pharisees made those rules and well, they always kept them, whatever it is. But uh, anyway, they made a good pretense of keeping them and burdened the people with those laws, with those rules. And when those rules were broken by others, well, they could be very angry, very judgmental. And these are the commandments of men. People invest, don't they, in man-made religion. They get very, very involved in it. And of course, the Lord spectacularly failed to uphold their rules and regulations, failed spectacularly to honour them. In fact, on the contrary, he overturned them. And the results were that the people could become very, very indignant and very, very angry. But the Lord himself, and we read it here, don't we, Mark 3, that he, on this Sabbath, which we just read about there, and there was this man with a withered hand, and the Lord knew the hearts of the people and the rulers that were watching. When interested, really, what he was going to say or who he was, just one thing, will he follow our rules? Does he obey them or does he not? Looking to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. That's all they're interested in. Very narrow religion this was. And so the Lord confronts them head on. And he knows exactly what they're interested in. And he doesn't say, oh, I'll see you after the meeting to the man and sort of around the back of the synagogue, quietly do it. He actually calls him to step forward. He's going to do it in public gaze. And so he does and gives a lecture before he does. Puts before them a question they could not answer. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? That's an unanswerable question. That's why they kept silent, because they couldn't, they couldn't dispute that. It has to be a day, doesn't it, to do good and not to do evil? A day to save life, not to kill. And that's what he did. He saves life, doesn't he? He does good. The man stretches out his hand in obedience to the command, and it's restored as whole as the other. We look for a happy ending. We look for the Pharisees to say, how could we have got it so wrong? How did we miss this? What's happened to us that we are looking here? Is he going to follow our rules? And if he doesn't, we're going to get angry. No, verse 6 is very disappointing, isn't it? Very disappointing. And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They just had the Lord of the Sabbath in their midst and they wanted to destroy him. Had the Son of God giving authoritative declaration about the day, how it might be observed, should be observed, the right attitude to bring to it. And instead, they wanted to, to kill him. How hard-hearted they were. But that's all they were interested in. They weren't interested in the man with the withered hand. Couldn't really care less about him. Other than maybe he could be uh, the bait, as it were, to get the Lord to transgress their rule. And they all got you. Something to accuse you with. That seemed to be what what their religion was about. They just loved to be able to accuse people, just judgmentalism. And so we find the Lord speaking to their lack of humanity, isn't it? That's what he's speaking to. Where's your compassion? Is this not a day to show compassion to people? Is this not a day to do them good? Are we going to withhold a blessing that could be bestowed today because of some rule, which is not there at all in harmony? with what the Lord would have that day to be used for. Shutting out humanity, mercy, and compassion, entertaining, and in fact being reinforced in hardness of heart. Or if we look 
back at the end of chapter 2. And this incident, when the disciples were traveling with the Lord, they're, they're on their way to another place. The Lord would be preaching there. And they are passing through the grain fields, and the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Mark 2, verse 23. And there are the Pharisees again. Look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They thought they were right. They thought the law backed them up. They thought that this is work. You're actually kind of making food here. Incredible, isn't it, really? All they were doing was plucking the, the grain there in the, in the, in the field. But to them, their definition, they had a rule about this, that's work. And they are insistent that this should be obeyed. Look, it's really quite uh, quite rude, isn't it, how they're speaking here. Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They thought they had a point. But the Lord was able to trump them, wasn't he? And he took them back to an example in Scripture, in the Old Testament. And he said, have you never read? <laughs> have you never read this? Well, I guess they had read it, but they hadn't seen the point he was going to make from it. And it's an instance uh, there back in the Old Testament when David and his men were fleeing from Saul. And they came to Ahimelech at Nob, where the high priest then was, was based, seek some refuge, look for some food. And the only food that could be offered to them was the showbread, the bread on the, the table, the offering there in the most holy place. Because here, it's on the Sabbath day for, for a start in that way, that they went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Well, how do they answer that? Well, they can't answer that. Because that's what David was uh, able to enjoy. And this was not censured. This was not something that was thought to be wrong. And there, was God doing seemingly what was not lawful. It wasn't lawful to give that bread except to the priest. But here, well, there was need, wasn't there? The men meant to starve to death. Is there to be, therefore, sorry, that's you can't have that bread. Only the priest can. You'll have to starve to death. And so again, mercy, compassion, sheer humanity. See, God is into humanity. He, he is into human compassion. And he would have that to be observed on his day. And here the Pharisees completely missed it. I don't know what the disciples were meant to eat, how they were meant to survive, and they were busy, long journeys, and uh, ministry was tiring. And so there they were eating these uh, heads of grain. Hardness of heart once more. And the absurdity of it, Luke 13, and again the extremes to which these rules had taken people and hardened their hearts. Luke 13, verses 10 to 17, once more, teaching on the Sabbath, and this time a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, says Luke with the details, 18 years, bent over, could in no way raise herself up. Here's the doctor's diagnosis, isn't it, there? Uh, he, he's got the detail at his fingertips. But we'll see that Jesus saw her, verse 12 of uh, Luke 13, called her to him, said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And there he is laying his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. It's a good use of the Sabbath day, isn't it? To glorify God for the good things he has done. But see again the reaction. Instead of just being amazed at this and so glad that this woman, who for 18 years had been in this condition, was now freed. We read 
He answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. He wasn't exactly rejoicing with the woman. I dare say quite a few of the crowds were, were delighted to see what had been done. But he's going to kind of kill the whole whole spirit of rejoicing here. He wasn't going to be having people glorifying God on this day. And he is full of indignation. The Lord has stern words for him and calls him a hypocrite and takes him to what you were doing in emergency. You just out of necessity. The animal still needs to eat and drink on the Sabbath. Well, you lose it, wouldn't you? And uh, then he says, so what not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Well, it was unanswerable, but uh, again, the reaction from the synagogue ruler, we don't read, perhaps was not improved by the witnessing of this event and the hearing of the teaching and including, again, the unanswerable case that the Lord put to him. And he says that, doesn't he? Emphasizes it. Think of it. She'd been bound for 18 years. Think of it. See, he wasn't thinking. Or at least he wasn't thinking straight. Uh, all he could think about was his rules and what ought to be, what ought not to be done on the Sabbath and missed humanity and compassion. And missed the obvious fact that if your animal was needing a drink, well, you give it. You, you wouldn't think twice, perhaps, because it needs it. And here's this woman. Well, she needs healing, doesn't she? Bent over like this for 18 years. Think of it. Imagine that. 18 years in this condition. Is it not a wonderful work to heal her on this day? Is it not something that should gladden our hearts and be exactly the kind of work that God would have his people to be about? An absence of thought. What are we doing? What are we doing to ourselves? What kind of people are we becoming because of some rule that we are following, believing it to be the commandments of God? And it wasn't the commandments of men. And the results were actually, in the end, working against God. And hence the Lord's rebuke and hence his stern criticism of them. So the Pharisees were judgmental because the Lord Jesus did things differently to how they thought those things ought to be done. And they were wrong. Very often people are looking for rules, like rules. Uh, Perhaps COVID has shown there the kind of rules. Oh, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. Well, rules can often be a substitute for thinking about what God actually wants us to do, wants us to be on his day. And rules are often brought in because we're fearful. We don't actually feel comfortable enough, confident enough to be able ourselves to refer to the Lord of the Sabbath, how he would have us spend the Sabbath, what he would have us to do, what is lawful for us to do on this particular day. And in this, we stand or fall to our own master. He's the Lord of all time, and he's the Lord of our Sabbath. And there is liberty of conscience to an extent within that. And there are things which may be of a bondage to you that are not a bondage to me, and vice versa. That are not idol-making things, they're not moving us into that track of taking us away from the Lord and actually bringing us nearer to him. For here's a thought, and maybe this uh, matter here, that the day is not exhausted in all that we can learn of God and become in God simply by being at a meeting, two meetings, 
simply by putting those terms, hearing preaching, reading Christian books. It's a serious day, but we can gain insights that actually do provoke us and stimulate us from all sources and simply that. And we should be at our maximum alert on his day to be able to learn about him, to grow, to interrogate ourselves. Who are we? That's what these people weren't doing. They weren't, they weren't asking questions of themselves. And the Lord asked questions and they had no answers to give. They hadn't thought about it. And that's shocking. They should have done. And we must be at our most alert, exposing ourselves to where God may be speaking to us. Speak through the sermon, a trusty mind. The hymns that we have, trusty mind. Books that we might read, Christian authors. Not always Christian authors. I have to say this, lots of non-Christian authors. Profound, profound insight into human nature, including our own, including our sin. Often as clear on diagnosing the sins of our culture and of our nation, and sadly at times of ourselves, then we are doing that kind of analysis. So there is much to be gained, much to be expected. We should have high expectations of the Lord's day, high expectations, and come to it there expecting God to deal with us and speak to us and being ready that he might speak to us through this, a conversation there over coffee, something that is said, perhaps with a smile, but actually contains within it a serious point. That is it. We're looking to learn. We're looking to grow. Not a day to please ourselves in. Not a day to be trivial. Not a day to just go through the day and go through the motions of the day and not be alert and attentive to what he is saying. And there are lawful recreations appropriate to the day. They're not going to demand of people that they work, not going to require of us some great investment of time, certainly no investment of money. Good walks and family time and such things as that are good and lawful recreations. can actually strengthen us in our understanding and reinforce to us lessons that the Bible has for us. Not a day to be lost on us, spoilt in needless fear or anxiety or agitation about rules. That's what the Pharisees were, and they were not on the right side of history there. So one size fits all? No, not exactly. People are all different, and we're all learning, growing in different ways. Young Christians and how they might observe the Sabbath, well, they may have a lot to learn. Non-Christians certainly have a lot to learn. And uh, we might not expect much from them because the first commandment doesn't mean much to them. And if the first commandment doesn't mean much, the fourth commandment will mean even less. So we understand that uh, there'll be differences and that we may regret many of those differences. One size does not fit all. Second heading, not your day, but his. The day for your own pleasure. There again in Isaiah 58, we'll come back to that in a moment. It's his day. And he's Lord of that day. In fact, Lord of all the days, isn't he? Every day is a Lord's day in, in, in that fashion. But this day, well, that day of sacred rest, as Isaac Watts termed it in the hymn that I read at the beginning. Rest. As God rested from his labor, not moving into inactivity or passivity or silence, but ceasing from those other things, lawful things, right things, in that we too may find our pleasure and our delight 
in God. That we may have him and be able to behold him. For who in the end is our Sabbath rest? Why, it is Christ, isn't it? And this day is just as Isaac Watts him anticipates, just the beginning of something that actually finds its best fit in heaven. But here still there's sin. Here mortal cares do disturb our breasts on his day. We're only human. We're only finite creatures and we're made of flesh and blood. And we have feelings and those feelings don't just stop because it's a Sabbath day. But they will one day. And it's like a little pattern to us. Where we fail today, we'll succeed in glory. What destroys and disturbs, what interferes, what makes us often look back and say that was not a particularly memorable or good Sabbath day. But in heaven, all of that is finished. All of those things in our worst enemy before. No longer. We're not going to vex our minds anymore. Nor Satan going to molest us and interfere with our peace. He does, and I'm sure he works sometimes at his worst on the Sabbath day. This is the day when we might expect all the more a communion with God to enrich us. And there in Christ, well, he fulfilled the Sabbath for us. He kept the law that we couldn't and surprised everybody by his law keeping, declaring himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. And we rest in him, all our failures to adequately, properly observe the Sabbath day. We look to him to be the one who will uphold the law, be that one who makes good all of our deficiencies. But we want this day to be what it's meant to be at its best, don't we? And it is communion with God. Be still and know that I am God. Well, that's the day for now, isn't it? That's that rest, that being still, that being able to not be involved in other activities as far as we can, to leave those things aside, to know that God is God. That's not a feeling, and it's certainly not inactivity. In fact, as I've said, we should be looking today to be stimulated, looking to be provoked, looking to be moved, looking to sorrow over our sin, looking to leave behind the world, looking at ourselves more carefully, the mirror of God's word, as in James chapter 1, and then being doers of that word, not only on the Sabbath day, of course, but all the rest of the week, we carry it forward with us. So the Sabbath day can be very busy. Indeed, it should be a busy day for the soul, a day for questioning, a day for asking the kind of people we are, a day of comparing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, well, where am I in this? What do I need to learn here? What do I need to work on today? His day, to know that he is God, to be still, that I can actually hear better, think in a more uncluttered way. Well, of course, I talk an ideal here. The Sabbath day can be very busy for people. Ah, preachers, I suppose. Well, maybe my Monday is the day I try to have that uh, quieter time and that thoughtful time. Maybe. And maybe for some of us, too, who, who are busy with well, maybe many things, perhaps when COVID has passed, that uh, giving or whatever else becomes more of, a, of an issue. It can be a very busy day. And anything like a day when we are able to, in an unhurried way, ponder and reflect. Because that should be part of it, isn't it? It's not just being busy. Uh, I've said many times, I think, over the last year or so, I, I think at times we've, we've missed the point here that activism has stopped us becoming who we might be in Christ. It's a day to reflect. 
day to ponder, day to stop and ask the questions we don't ask in the rest of the week. To us, where am I in my relationship with God? Where am I in my walk with him? What do I need to learn? What do I need to see? How do I need to be different, think differently, act differently? And in a way, we know we've kept a good Sabbath day by the people we are for the rest of the week. We know if we've been with God, just as we quoted often don't know these days, they knew the apostles, they realized these men had been with Jesus. That's what men should realize of us, the Sabbath day. We've been with him, communion with him, thinking about him. And so when they see us in the week, there's something happened. Something moved on. We've moved on. We're not the same. We've changed a bit, incrementally. But over a period of time, we've changed. And a lot of that change will be traceable back to how we spent the Lord's Day, what we did on it, how we grew through it. Because there are promises, aren't there? There are promises. And we read Isaiah chapter 58. And when it talked about fasting, well, note what it said there, that that this idea of just afflicting your souls and just being almost rather miserable. But actually in verse six, what is it, day four? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and let you break every yoke. That's what the Lord did on that Sabbath, didn't he? With that woman bent over double, 18 years. Well, he broke that yoke and he let the oppressed go free, undid the heavy burdens. It's as though that's actually the Sabbath too. That that's just what's looked for here. Not affliction of soul, not some almost fake solemnity actually looking what good can be done through this day. But there, just turning to verses 13 and 14, that if we come with that expectation, this day is actually a delight, not a weariness. It's stopping us working. That's what it's doing here, isn't it? Stopping us doing our pleasure. We almost resent this day. Oh, I'll be done with it so we can get on with the rest of the week. Be gone with it so we can get on with what we really enjoy, really want. Ah, no. You won't expect much from the day like that. Call it a delight. Call it an honourable day. Because you're honouring God by doing that. That's hallowing his name. That this is his day and we have expectations of it. We're going to be jealous to try to keep it preserved. And we shall honour him, not doing our own ways, not finding our own pleasure, not talking about what we want to talk about, our own words. Because there's a promise in verse 14, isn't it? Get that day right. Think of it in the right way. We're going to meet with God. And that's great and wonderful. And there's ble- benefit. There's blessing. You shall delight yourself in the Lord. Called the day of delight, you'll delight yourself in the Lord. You make discoveries. <laughs> you'll see his glory. You'll know how wonderful his love. You'll taste and see the more. His love towards sinners. You'll be more overwhelmed by it, more struck by it. Call it a delight, your delight in him. And look, he causes you to ride on the high hills of the earth. Rise above things. We've, we've got a perspective and we're able to come through things perhaps a bit better than the world does. Perhaps a bit better than those who are casual in their observance of the day are. We'll have more. There'll be something extra that the Lord has given us and fed with a heritage of Jacob, our father. Heritage, the promises that were made to him. How he knew God, wrestled with God, prevailed. Those things that came his way, all the benefits and all the insights and all the revelation 
well, that's feeding us too. And in hard times as well, there was Jacob who was starving there and his family in Canaan. And there was that miraculous provision Joseph sent ahead into Egypt to save life. There, these benefits, these providences are the heritage of Jacob, our father. And God says, test me on it. You'll find I'm faithful. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Test me on it. You'll find me faithful. Call this day a delight. Look for me in it. Make that your sole aim and objective. And I won't disappoint you. You will find blessing. You'll find help. You'll go on into your week. And something that's happened through this day, properly spent, properly observed, will be there with you, traveling with you, riding there on the high hills of the earth. So we see this day as a great gift of God, as some day that is different to every other day, meant to be, designed to be, there in creation, a different day, there by virtue of the fact that these days are set aside in the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, special. A day not for just worrying, a day for anxiety. I've done the right thing, I've done the wrong thing. Are they doing the right thing? Are they doing the wrong thing? Looking to grow in God, looking to mature, looking to this promise here. A day to destroy idols, anger, cruelty, spite, inhumanity. That's what was here, wasn't it? Lack of compassion, lack of warmth, lack of interest in a fellow human being. Well, that's got to go on the Sabbath day. Pride, fear, unbelief, the list could go on. And there, for us to dwell upon weighty, not trivial matters, not speaking our own words, we're looking to grow in his truth and come forward in that weighty things and how there with that alertness that we should come into the day with may god bless our sabbaths may these lord's days are not be wearisome to us i hope the preaching isn't isn't always wearisome i can't promise you is it that it's not always sometimes wearisome tedious not at its best well look beyond the preacher look beyond the preaching you've found nothing in the preaching and read the book and read another good book we'll hear some other preacher if you will but that we might draw upon what God promises to give communion with his son on this day and that we would delight the more in him. Expect more from this day, attempt more in this day, and God will not disappoint us. That's his promise.